0: When we read the Christian scriptures, we believe we're doing more than simply studying an ancient text. We believe God actually speaks to us through these words. So let's take a moment of silence to clear our minds and quiet our hearts so we can listen to God. Today's scripture comes from John 4. And I'll be reading John 4, 4-30. through 30. Please read silently along with me. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making more disciples and baptizing more than John, although Jesus' disciples were baptizing, not Jesus himself. Therefore, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Sorry, the text is small. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, Why did you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans did not associate with each other. And Jesus responded, If you recognized God's gift and who is saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him, and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket— and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father, Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You're right to say I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands, and the man you are with now isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship Him this way. God is spirit and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks with you. Just then, Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked that he was talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or, Why are you talking with her? The woman put down her water jar and went into the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who has told me everything I have done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. Jesus. And we're going to move nine verses down if you're following on your phone. Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves And know that this one is truly the Savior of the world. And after two days, Jesus left for Galilee.
1: Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here, you're present, you're working. We ask that you would open up our eyes to teach us, give us courage to listen and to obey, to respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we're going to talk about power. Now some of you, the minute I said that word, you thought, oh boy, here we go. Some of you, your hearts leapt and you were like, here we go. Now wherever camp you're in, I'm just going to ask you to stay with me for just a few minutes. Let me just define what I mean by power. I don't mean strength. I don't mean endurance. I mean the social constructs that we experience. Relationships that we have with people in our workplaces or in our neighborhoods where people get silenced or mistreated, where they get overlooked. And there seems to be no accountability or even awareness, where labels get slapped on people, and it's dehumanizing. Power's everywhere. It's in our culture. It's in our families. It's in our junior highs and high schools. It's in our neighborhoods. It's even in our churches. And it touches many areas. Race. Wealth. Gender. Sexuality. Age. The social constructs that we experience in our world were also in Jesus's world. The Gospels are peppered with stories and examples, and so I want to give you a little bit of background before we dive in to John 4. Rome held the political cards during Jesus's time, with the exception of maybe a few, like a short period of time after the Maccabean revolt. Israel's, Israelites for generations had been occupied as a colony of Rome. It's hard for us as Americans to understand the powerlessness of living as a colonized people, but that was the Israelites. Their religious leaders, the the high priests, the Sadducees, they were the political puppets for Rome, but they only made up about 5% of the people, which means 95% of the people were being controlled and ruled by others. That means that those people were farmers, they were hungry, they were poor, they were homeless. They were in this constant cycle of debt. The social aspect of Jesus' world was that he lived in a patriarchal system where women were inferior to men. They were property to their husbands. And he was a Jewish rabbi. So he was respected as a religious teacher because he had more education than a typical Hebrew. And he was also Jewish. And there was a lot of racial tension between Jews and people who were not Jews. We call them Gentiles. So keeping all of that in mind, let's look at John 4. The last time I was here, we talked about how God is like Jesus. So let's look at how Jesus reckons with power. In John four, he's on a trip. He's going to Galilee. Now um, he's in the in the south of all of Israel, which is Judea, and he wants to go to Galilee. In the middle, as I like to say, some area in the middle is Samaria. Uh huh. Those of you who had a cup of coffee at two o'clock, you just laughed. Now. For us, it would be like if I was in Colorado Springs and I was coming to Denver and I would go through Castle Rock. That makes sense, right? Except for in Jesus' time as a Jewish man, people did not go through Samaria because of the racial tension that they had with Samaritans. Samaritans were considered to be half-breeds. They were only half-Jewish. And so typically, people would literally cross the river and go around Samaria to get to Galilee. And yet in verse 4, it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He goes right through the line, right across the barrier to where people say, that's not where you should be. And he brings his disciples there. He's tired because of a long day journey. And he tells the disciples, go get some Jimmy Johns. I'm going to sit here right by the well. And so they go in and they get some food. And a woman comes to the well. She's a Samaritan woman from the nearby city. And it's about noon. Now that detail is important because typically women would go to the well to get the water at the beginning of the day. But here this woman is in the heat of the day by herself. Why is that? We're going to look at that in just a second. But then Jesus talks to her. Now, for us, it doesn't seem strange. You're like, of course, just chit-chat by the water fountain. But that's not what's happening here. It was unthinkable for a Jewish religious leader to talk to a Samaritan woman. And then it gets worse. Her reputation is that she's a slut. She's been married five times. She's living with a guy now. Maybe that's why... You want me to turn myself down can you hear that? I can yell
0: <laughs>
1: I'm loud enough I can, you can turn me off if you want maybe that's why she goes to the well at noon because she doesn't want to hear the whispers of the city because she doesn't want to have the derogatory terms cast her way or maybe she doesn't want the silent treatment but she's there And she's at the well. Now, if I had time, I would dive into the Old Testament story of why that's significant. If you have time, I encourage you. Genesis 16, it's worth your read this week. Let me just give you a brief little synopsis. It's about an immigrant woman who's a slave. Her name is Hagar, and God sees her. In fact, she gives God the name, you are the God who sees me. It's at that well the well that God saw Hagar, that Jesus sees the woman at the well. Same place. And Jesus sees her. He walks right to her city, right across the line. Doesn't matter that she's a woman. Doesn't matter that he's a Jew. And he talks to her because that's who Jesus is. When people are disabled and they can't go to the temple, what does Jesus do for them in his ministry? He heals them because he wants them to have access to God. He wants those barriers to be crossed. When women were kind of pushed aside, what does he do? He includes them, empowers them, and says, be my follower. He bridges the gap. He loves them. And that's what he's doing here. He talks to her. He tells her about herself, which is kind of funny. But then he ultimately reveals who he is. That he is the Messiah, the one who gives hope, the one who gives life-changing power, the one who is life itself. And her life changes. Now, the disciples come back, and they see Jesus talking to this woman, and they don't say anything, which is kind of funny. But it must have shown all over their faces the labels that they held in their heart against this person, a woman, a Samaritan, a slut. And she goes into the city, and she starts telling everybody about Jesus. In fact, it tells us in verse 39 that many Samaritans in that town came to know Jesus because of this woman's story. Friends, power isn't about control. It's about love. And Jesus loved the woman at the well. How do I know? Because he recognized power and because he redistributed power. He recognized power because he had to go into Samaria. He had to name what was happening. Hey, I don't want you to be divided anymore. I don't want you to be the outcast. I don't want you to be unseen. But then he redistributed power. She was the first evangelist in the Gospels to tell people about him. She's the first person in the Bible, according to Scripture, that tells the good news, that tells Jesus' way, and a movement happens. God's love is never power blind. How do we live like that? How do we do the same thing? How do we recognize and redistribute? Because we live in a society that's ordered in such a way that we can become unaware of the established patterns that already exist in this world. I recently went to a meeting. It was all men. At the end of the meeting, one of the guys said, that was a great meeting. And I thought, it wasn't a great meeting. I didn't have voice. You never asked me my opinion. It was a great meeting because you and all your friends got to control the meeting. He was unaware. He didn't even see it. So how do we become aware when we are blind, when we can't see I think we ask the hard questions. I'm mentored by an 80 year old woman of color named Del Reese. About two years ago, right after George Floyd was murdered, I saw her the next day. And I said, Del Reese, tell me, as a white person, how do I respond? She looked at me, and you know what she said? She said, The first thing is, you have to admit that you are a racist. I swallowed real hard. And then she said, and I have to admit that I am too. I had pushback, friends. I was like, wait, what are you talking about? I didn't have my knee on his throat. I don't say things that, like, you know, we shouldn't say. That's not me. I wanted... To deny rather than have self awareness. And I'm telling you, in the next few months, my eyes were open to the ways that I dehumanize people by categorizing them, by labeling them based on the color of their skin or the neighborhood that they live in or the amount of money that comes on their check. I mistreated. I overlooked, I ignored people. But that's not how Jesus is. Jesus recognized it and walked across that line, and then he redistributed it. How do we empower people? Jesus empowered the woman to tell the city. What does it look like for us to redistribute power? When I was little, I used to line up all of my stuffed animals and my dolls and preach to them. It's like what I played. Then I went to college and I became like a Bible teacher for junior high and high school kids because somehow being a Bible teacher was okay and acceptable and being a pastor wasn't in my circle. I then went to Chicago a few years after we were married and the church that we were at asked me to be a part of what they called the College of Preachers. It was a group of three or four lay people that they mentored for nine months, and then in the summer, we preached three or four times. Most churches, not this one, most churches, though, have like one or two eloquent preachers that gather a crowd. But I was a part of a church that purposefully redistributed power to the congregation. And I sat in a McDonald's booth with the head pastor as he asked me to be a part of that group, and I cried. Why? Because I was seen. Because the four-year-old little girl talking to a blue elephant was finally said, hey, you're a woman, but I'm not dismissing you. I'm not overlooking you. I'm empowering you. God's love always reckons with power. What if we were about the same? What if we loved like Jesus and reckoned with the power in our lives and in the world? What if we pressed into differences and saw people rather than a label? What if those differences became beautiful colors on a canvas the way God intended What if love and grace and justice and mercy and generosity and belonging were the heartbeat of Nova? What if everyone in this room had a sense of belonging and felt seen? What if instead of saying, oh, they have food stamps, we actually brought food to their houses What if we sat with people who annoyed us and pressed into friendship or forgave or gave forgiveness because of the differences between us? What if we stopped labeling people? The world is sick and tired of hearing about Jesus. They want to see it. And how do they see it? Us. Us loving Jesus' way. That's the dream. That's Jesus' way. To love his way. That every person in every city, in every country experienced it. And what would happen? i tell you what would happen. I use my imagination. Here we go. Ready? Monday, starvation would be eliminated. Tuesday, racism would die. Wednesday, poverty would end. Thursday, all medical needs would be taken care of for anyone who needed it. Friday, all orphans would be in a family. Saturday, everyone would hear about Jesus' love because we'd be living it out. And then Sunday, we'd all gather back here together but we would not be labeling each other. We would not be divided. We would be together. We would be one. We'd be loving Jesus' way. I want you to think of a person. Think of a name. Think of a face that you actually know in your life That maybe you have dehumanized because you have categorized them. You have overlooked them. You have mistreated them. You have ignored them. You have not seen them. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. Spirit, would you give me courage to love that person this week? We have boards on each side. It just says, God, give me courage to love As Sarah plays, I'm just going to ask you guys, if the Holy Spirit puts somebody on your heart, that you go up there and write their name. As in, God, help me to stop categorizing people, but to see them. And give me an imagination to love them this week the way you would. Let's have courage, friends.